Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gill, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith. And today we're going to continue our conversation, pick up where we left off last time, uh, where we were. We began speaking about providence and God's providence and causality. Um, so if you haven't listened to that podcast, go back and listen to that one, because uh, it really sets up the, the very large and a uh, highly debated topic uh, for today, which is that of, of predestination. Um, and But before we get started, I wanna invite our listeners, please help us out, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Please share the content. We all know about the algorithms and the things like that. And we gotta get around them and help. Um, uh, we wanna help grow this community uh, and, and really to help uh, serious Catholics uh, think about uh, uh, deep theological things, things that have consequence. Uh, and so anyway, you can help us out and also be sure to go over to catholicstudiesacademy.com and check out all of our content over there where Dr. Smith and Dr. Richard Kruzakelli and I, where we have uh, full uh, kind of informal classes where you can take uh, courses on metaphysics, you can take courses on um, sacred scripture, on uh, fundamental theology and all different other uh, types of uh, fun topics uh, for us serious Catholics. Um, so be sure to check out all of our content over there. All right, Dr. Smith. Let's uh, let's continue this um, this exploration of of God's providence and get into the uh, the fun topic of of predestination, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, where do we begin? Well, you know, it's an important topic. It is uh, stimulating to think about, uh, but it's also one of those topics, you know, to be to be straightforward that you know it is fairly um, you know serious it has to be, I think, approached with. Uh, you know, a certain amount of gravity, you know, it is always our, uh, our habit, you know, we, uh, you know, to, to, um, you know, we, to engage things uh, somewhat lightly, but, you know, I think this is one of those topics is, is heavy. Um, and it is a topic for the mature, uh, in faith. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, I, you know, I, I recommend, you know, listening to it, but, you know, do take it with the, the, the seriousness and preparation that it, it requires. It's important as a topic because of um, it deals really with the primacy of God, right? That is, you know, is it the case that God really is the first cause? Is it the case that God really is in charge? Is it the case that God really is provident uh, or not? Okay. Uh, and put, you know, sort of playing out the full implications of that. In addition, um, it's important because it deals with the primacy of grace in our salvation, in our justification. So that's a, um, obviously a, a key key point, right? That that we know that ultimately God is the author of our salvation. How does that play out in space and time and history? And the doctrine of predestination um, uh, helps to kind of spell that out. Now, I said there, doctrine, I do want to qualify that what we're going to be discussing in this podcast is the theological view of Thomas Aquinas. So this is actually a matter upon which the church has given theologians uh, a good deal of latitude. That is, the church knows that there are a variety of theological views uh, on this and uh, has permitted them, right? So there are other accounts of predestination that are permitted uh, within the, the Catholic church. Um, so this is one of those permitted views. Uh, it's not the only view, but I think it's important, right, that to recognize that. Now, that said, 
you know, it's not just a shot in the dark either, right? I think Thomas has, I, I think Thomas's position on this is the best position. Um, and I think there are strong reasons to think it's the best position. Uh, but that said, I do want to qualify that this is not a matter of Catholic doctrine in the strong sense, right? This is one um, view in uh, theology, right? And we're not even going to cover the full breadth of what Thomas has to say about it, right? We're just going to focus on what he has to say in the uh, the Summa. Uh, so those are two you know, important qualifications uh, as we're going forward. Yeah, very good. Uh, yeah, very important to 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 like you said, to, to situate what it is we're trying to do in an hour podcast also. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. So to, get from, us, to get us started, like yeah. uh, maybe you could bring up some of the, the, the principles that we talked about last time, because mm-hmm. the, 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 the understanding of God's providence and causality are, are fundamental to what Thomas says about God's uh, God uh, about predestination. That's right. right. Yeah. So uh, if, yeah, again, uh, you've already said this, but it's worth repeating. If you haven't listened to the prior podcast, that's really helpful. Um, that was the episode on um, divine providence. Um, but from that study, you know, we derived several different print, uh, several different principles kind of came to the fore. Um, you know, the, the root cause, the root sort of principle, I think more important than any other is the claim that God is the first cause of every change, um, which means that God is the first cause of every act or every instance of actualization and therefore of every perfection and every good. So in Thomas's mind and the way he lays this out, you know, this is that God being the first cause inevitably leads to the conclusion that God is the first cause of every perfection. Okay. Now that should be something I think that any, you know, anyone operating with right reason or Christian faith should accede, you know, concede to, um, now that perfection, though this is important, includes the perfection of order to an end, right? So um, the perfection of, say, my eyes being ordered to seeing, right, or of the polis or the political community to the common good, or of reason towards the truth, right? All, all of those are examples of order to an end, right? And um, that's what Thomas really means by the perfection of order. And of course, that belongs to God as well. God, you know, it didn't just happen to be the case that um, reason was ordered to the to truth, right? Rather, God intended for mankind to know the truth, and therefore He created reason ordered to the truth, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think a good analogy is when you look at, um, uh, you know, just something very complicated in the world. Let's mm-hmm. say, you know, even just like a car engine or something like that, like all of those pieces have their place. They are all mm-hmm. uh, uh, ordered towards the proper functioning of, of that engine. Right. 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 Um, I can hold up random pieces and you can be like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> um, but, but, but to understand that, you know, th- things that are, th- even though they seem complicated and you can hold up a, you know, a muffler bearing or something else that doesn't exist, um, you know, and say, Oh, look at this. Like, you 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 could see that that even though I don't understand it, I understand by its place in the engine that it is ordered towards the the, the proper working of that thing. Same with the world, right? Everything, mm-hmm. and this is one of the 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 principles. Everything mm-hmm. in, in the world is is you know not just rightly ordered, but divinely ordered. That's right. That's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. It's all subject to God's uh, providence, right? So a second principle, and this is really just a definition, is 
God's plan for that order is what providence is, right? So you think, okay, yeah. so, you know, God is the cause of order to an end, uh, the good of order. Uh, God's plan for that is what providence is, right? So mm-hmm. we see order in the universe that is part of God's providence. It's included in God's providence. Uh, third point is that providence presupposes um, uh, volition and intention on the part of God. So here, you know, uh, it's helpful to remember <clears throat> Thomas compares um, uh, providence to prudence, right? Uh, it says, you know, it's kind of an, uh, an analogous relationship there. Prudence, you know, is the plan you form in order to execute your intended ends. So you you intend a certain goal, and then you execute, you develop and execute a plan for um, that end, right? But the end come is prior, right? So you think about, uh, for example, um, educating your children, right? You say, well, I intend to educate my children. And then you have to kind of come up with a plan about how to do that, right? And there's different options you could pursue, that sort of thing, okay? But at a point, certain point, you have to develop a plan, right? So What's important, though, is to see that whenever we're talking about a plan, whether it's providence or prudence, right, that presupposes the intention of an end. Right. Okay. Uh, a fourth point uh, from last time is that everything is subject to God's infallible providence, right? Another way to put this is that God's providence is both um, universal and infallible. It's universal in the sense that so the underlying idea here is Thomas says that the scope of God's providence extends as far as his causality. Well, his causality extends to everything, right? And so that means that um, everything is subject to God's providence. That includes human beings. That includes human history. Uh, and it also means that providence will be infallible because there's no, there's no causal line to interfere with right, the causality of God. All causality is secondary to God's causality. All of God, all causality depends upon God's causality. So there's no causes that could interfere with God's plan. And that's why it's infallible, right? It doesn't fail. So and a simple way of putting this is God's plan doesn't fail ever, right? Yeah. And an important corollary then is that what happens is part of God's plan, right? Uh, and that's a tough one, right? Because that sometimes, you know, Bad things happen, but Thomas, you know, bites the bullet on this and says, God permits that there be some evil and some defects within his plan so that some greater, you know, the common good of the universe, some greater good can be, you know, brought about. I think you pointed out last time, you know, the best example, this is the incarnation of Christ, right? And, you know, uh, we call it, you know, the fall of man and incarnation, right? Uh, that, that that brought about the fall of man brought about you know the incarnate mission of jesus yeah there was uh saint augustine right oh you know felix culpa right oh mm-hmm. happy fall right like, that's what a weird thing to say about original sin like i don't know in, in my in my mind i'm like why why would they do that idiot you know but but saint augustine says you know oh happy fault that brought that you know that brought us uh, a, such a wonderful savior right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that's an interesting way you know way to look at god's providence but i think like what you just said is is very helpful at least for me and and understanding you know my own action within uh uh god's plan of salvation as a whole but also you know uh working working towards my own salvation not that i'm the cause of it whatever Mm. uh you know what i mean um but uh but that 
nothing I can do, no action that I can take can be outside of God's providence. Like mm. even if I fail and fail miserably, right? Like there's there the, the there, there's something some kind of comforting about knowing that it's it still falls within uh god's providence and that he is such a great god that he has the ability to bring out a a much greater good from uh from a, a defect or something uh than if the defect had not been there which right. again that's that that's i right. think that just opens up the yep. mystery even more mm-hmm. right so yeah so I, yeah that's a fun one to uh contemplate on think about on <laughs> sure sure yeah and then the last uh last principle um that i want to bring up that'll sort of help guide us in our exploration uh of this um uh, account of pre- a predestination <clears throat> is uh something we didn't talk about explicitly last time and that has to do with um relationship between nature and grace um, now that's a very large topic in itself. Lots of controversies are um, uh, concentrated on that uh, topic. Um, so we actually have a, a past episode where we deal with nature and grace, according to Thomas. Um, so maybe our listeners can can be referred to that. Yeah, sure. uh, we can handle Thomas just very briefly here. Again, I'm just kind of hitting the high points. Um, Thomas deals with this issue of nature and grace under two headings or the necessity of grace, right? So he's very clear, grace is necessary for us to achieve eternal life. Um, That's absolutely the view of Thomas, right? There's nothing in nature uh, that can achieve um, eternal beatitude. And even in natural natural theology or philosophy, uh, natural theology can't give us, uh, and philosophy can't give us a knowledge of you know, what, what you might call a saving knowledge or a knowledge right. of how we obtain eternal life, right? That requires grace and revelation. So why is that? Uh, there's two reasons. One uh, is that to, you know, eternal life, you know, there's several different ways to put in this, but it ultimately means, you know, participating in the Trinitarian life of God, right? And in the inner life of God, um, knowing and loving God in himself as he knows and loves himself, right? So, um that is the uh, eternal life, but that's only proper to God, right? It's not proper to creatures, right? Only God naturally knows God himself in himself, right? Uh, and so uh, we have to be elevated, right, to that uh, end uh, by grace, right? Because it's beyond our natural powers. Uh, the second reason, which just makes the whole situation more serious and even, you know, uh, more grave, is uh, the reality of sin, and um, the reality, especially of original sin and concupiscence. So uh, once man has fallen, right, we are in such a position that Thomas very clearly says, we cannot love God properly. We cannot order, our our wills cannot be properly ordered to the ultimate end uh, in the state of original sin. Um, And then even if we get out of original sin, concupiscence still makes it hard, right? So um, that's really, really important, right? That, that, you know, the way Augustine and Thomas both talk about this is, you know, pagans, that is people who have not been regenerated by grace, pagans can do good kinds of things, right? You know, they can, they can be brave, they can um, put, you know, they can hold their posts, they can um, not, they can avoid adultery, right? Uh, they can remain faithful to their spouse, they can pay their taxes, 
uh, that sort of things. They can do good kinds of things, but they can't do it in the right way. <laughs> okay, is is ultimately uh, the the way of putting that. So um, all that to be said is an underlying view here of Thomas is is that grace, right? The grace of God, whether we're talking about a regenerate or unregenerate person, uh, is presupposed in any action that is efficacious for achieving our supernatural end. And, and I think that point, uh, or this whole point on the gravity of sin and the necessity of grace is, or I, I, think it, I think we have to hold it today. We have to hold this almost in the forefront of our mind because sure. our entire culture just kind of thinks, <laughs> well, I mean, there's even a song out right now that's, that like, I think the lyrics are just, are like, everybody's basically good. <laughs> like yeah you know you know you know i could i could what does that mean like everybody mm -hmm. is well intentioned but mm -hmm. you know what is, yeah but that's that just simply read leads to the road to hell like mm -hmm. uh, sure. you know we we have to have and we have to keep in mind this uh the reality of you know the the, the that sin is is an offense to god and it mm -hmm. has it has a punishment that God has told us about. Right. 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 Uh, right. You know, and we, the only way to, the only way to, to heal from this is God's grace, which requires humility. It requires baptism. It requires mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, a completely free gift on the part of God, but also yeah. it requires our volitional uh, response uh, um, uh, to that. Right. So, so I think this is one of those things where, you know, we, we say, yeah, 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 but, but our, our culture is so counter against this mm -hmm. that it's something we have to really make clear in our minds. And, and, and especially when we're talking about topics like this, right. really, really put it at the forefront, because again, we're, 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 we're beginning with trying to begin with these principles. And then uh, uh, from these, we're going to look at, you know, where, where St. Thomas takes us, but, but I think this one, especially it's important for us to, mm -hmm. to hold there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, you're right about that. I mean, I think, you know, the, the idea of us being sinners, you know, from birth right, um, is not something right. That our, our, our society embraces uh, at all. Right. Um, okay, good. So uh, I think that's true. Even, you know, unfortunately, even among Christians. Yeah. Um, so now I think that, that, so with that, that sort of puts us in, the framework, right? The context for understanding what Thomas has to say about predestination. Um, I'm not going to work through. So this is in uh, Prima Par's question 23. Uh, I'm not going to work through every article of the question. Uh, I'm just going to try it again, hit the main points uh, as we go through. Um, we start with the, um, just the question of whether it's right to attribute predestination to God. And of course, Thomas says, yes, you know, predestination is rightly attributed to God. Um, you know, he, of course, cites scripture to, to that effect, uh, but he uh, gives us two arguments, really. Um, although, uh, really, maybe it's just two parts of the same argument. First and foremost, you know, we'll just have, you know, predest, we need to just recognize that for Thomas, predestination is just that part of God's providence that applies to the supernatural end of eternal life. So we go back to the principle we talked about earlier, right? Which is that God is provident. What that means is, is that God has a plan for the order of things to their ends. So wherever there's an end, there's a plan of God towards that end. Okay. 
And so when we look then at the end of supernatural life or the end of eternal life, well, you know, God, God doesn't, that's not left up to just sort of like a, a becoming a random outcome or something like that. That's included within God's providence, right? There is an order of means towards that end, right? Just like there's an order of means towards any end, right? And that is included within God's uh, providence, right? So, uh, and remember, very importantly, we talked about this when we talk, talked about providence, that providence extends to all things, including individuals, right? Yeah. So it's not just sort of a general plan towards the end of eternal life. It is a general plan, but it's also an individual and particular plan. Right. So that God has a plan for each for each and every person who achieves eternal life, the end of eternal life. That is the outworkings, right, of God's plan. Right. So again, God, God's plan covers God, you know, God's providence covers the order of the good of order, right? And that good of order includes every order towards an end, including the order of um eternal life. The only way to deny that, in my view, right, and I think in Thomas's view, is to deny that God is the cause of every perfection, right? If you deny that, then you deny that God is the, cause of, uh, the first cause, and I think you're in really big trouble there, right? So, you know, once you've accepted God as the first cause, then, you know, or, or just creator, if you prefer, then, right, you down, down water from that, downstream from that, Okay, is going to be that God is the cause of every perfection, including the perfection of order, including the perfection of order to the end of supernatural life. That's what predestination is. Yeah, and I think the the, the point you made there about uh, God's providence and, and rightly attributing predestination to Him is that this this plan is not just kind of a general plan, mm -hmm. and we'll just kind of see what happens. <laughs> right. like, like, no, we don't, we don't, like, and, and again, you know, you're, you're talking about the, you know, the, you're talking about God, like nothing, mm. nothing is just kind of left general. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like how, trying to hold even just that principle that, sure. you know, that, I mean, that's essentially like me just saying, well, I'm going to just bolt a bunch of things onto the engine and we'll see what happens. Like, no. That's right. That's right. Like, no, no, no engineer would do that. But, uh, but for some reason, sometimes we want to attribute that to God where we're just going right. to say, well, generally, yeah, he loves us and things like that. But uh, we can't, we can't uh, like our, our particular. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like, uh, you know, we're not deist, right? So it's, you know, it'd be kind of like, you know, God, it'd be kind of like if, it was, if you're like, like if you're a parent and you're like, well, look, I stocked the kitchen with food. Yeah. I, I didn't make any plans for cooking anything or preparing it for you or telling you when the meals are going to be or providing the meals, but it's all there. Right. Well, yeah, no, I mean, that's not what a parent does. Right. You know, you don't just say, Hey, I stocked the kitchen. Sorry, kids are starving. Uh, yeah. right? <laughs> you, know, you, you prepare a plan, right. You make a plan and you execute that plan. Right. Yeah, and it, and it just seems to go against reason as well when you sure. look at just the the natural world mm -hmm. and the the immense order. That's right. That, that we keep discovering in in, in science and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but then to hold that, well, you know, your greatest good, God doesn't really yeah, care about. That's right. It doesn't have a plan for that. Right, but yeah, the molecular yeah. makeup of a badger, he cares greatly about. <laughs> that's like, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah. So you know, the big picture here is. God's providence is universal and infallible. It covers all things, including the order towards eternal life, right? Yeah. 
There's no reason to exempt it. It's a perfection, clearly. Therefore, it falls under God's providence, right? Right. Uh, the art, uh, you know, thinking about it from the perspective of, of the second perspective that you can think about this from is in terms of uh, nature and grace. Uh, but this only sort of kind of amplifies the the basic point. Um, so Thomas points out, right, that this is in fact an end that's even uh, that's beyond our nature. So even more so, right, does it presuppose on God's part a special plan? to bring you to that end, right? So you think about the, you know, the things that go into, um, think about everything that goes into an arrow hitting the target on a regular basis, right? Well, obviously pieces of wood with little pieces of metal attached to them and, and uh, you know, feathers, I guess for an old style arrow, right? You know, they don't in, by nature, they don't hit a target normally. In fact, by nature, they don't aim themselves towards anything, okay? Um, that presupposes, right, a plan on the part of the Fletcher, right, who makes the arrows, right? Uh, I think the Fletcher also makes the bow. I'm not exactly sure. But anyways, um, you know, the bow maker and then the um, the the marksman, right, who's shooting the bow. Um, all of, you know, see, so, so if you're going to raise something to, some, uh, to an activity above its nature, that even more presupposes an intelligent plan, right? Uh, that raises that thing to a destiny and to an end that it could not achieve by its natural powers. Yeah, I think the the example we used in the the, the previous podcast on nature and grace was uh, that of the, the the tree versus the bookshelf. That's right. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So if heaven is if heaven is full of bookshelves, um, <laughs> and and we're all a bunch of trees, right? right. <laughs> so a tree left a tree left by itself will never turn into a bookshelf, right? There no. has to be some there has to be something from the outside, a craftsman. <laughs> Uh, there has to be something that 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 you know turns the tree into a bookshelf, right? You right can't on. just yeah. plant an acorn and get a bookshelf. That's Doesn't right. work that way. Doesn't work so, that way. Yeah. 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 Good. So, I mean, I think that those are two good points that, to, that that you know. I mean, really, if you accept the the first point about God's providence, then really you have to say He's provident over um, eternal life, and therefore we can attribute predestination to Him. Yeah. So um, that seems to me to be just irrefutable now there's more to be said of course um but i think that point is irrefutable unless you really want to go a long long ways back right yeah um and you really notice that people who well deny this right they end up having to rethink almost the entirety uh of their theology but i'll, I'll get that to that later the second main point then and this might be kind of creeping around in your mind you're like okay wait a second um so god has a plan and you said earlier, you know, that whatever happens, it happens because it was part of God's plan. And then if it didn't, didn't happen, right, then that means that God, in a sense, didn't plan for it to happen that way, right? Hmm. You start to think about, you know, eternal life then. You think about examples of like, uh, I think last time we talked a little bit about Peter and Judas. And I said last time, you know, that Judas did not repent because it wasn't part of God's plan for Judas to repent right? That, that, that follows from the infallibility of divine providence, right? If divine providence always pulls off, right, yeah. what, what is planned, then it would, then, and it was planned for Judas to repent, Judas would have repented, right? Yeah. But he didn't. So that means it wasn't part of the plan, okay? Now, that same line of reasoning uh, is, uh, Thomas applies, right, to this, to 
the really grave matter, and this is a grave matter, okay, of, um, and I kind of speak about it with a little bit of fear and trembling, but the grave matter of reprobation, mm-hmm. right? Thomas ex- explicitly asked, does God reprobate some, right? And he says, you know, well, it belongs to divine providence to permit some defects, right, in the universe, for the common good of the whole. We talked about this last time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that there would be no courage, there'd be no patience of the martyrs if it were not for um, the fury of the tyrants, right? Of persecutors, right? So God permits that there be uh, Diocletian or that there be Pharaoh. So that, I just happen to be reading through Exodus. It's just remarkable how much this rings true, right? It was part of God's plan for Pharaoh to be obstinate, right? Um, and, uh, you know, so that he could demonstrate, right, his, his greatness um, over Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt, right? Um, so providence, right, permits, right, certain defects for the common good of the whole. Predestination is part of providence. Therefore, it follows that predestination also permits uh, certain defects for the common good of the whole. Um, so it's certainly the case, right, that God does predestine some to eternal life, right? Those who do not achieve eternal life do not achieve it because it wasn't part of God's plan for them to achieve it. That reasoning is perfectly parallel to the reasoning about Judas. And I think is perfectly consistent and follows deductively from the, the, from the universality and infallibility of divine providence. So you're right, it's tough, but I guess my question is, does it make sense, Jason? Yeah, yeah, it does. I, I think that the toughest part is, I mean, it's easy to talk about Judas because nobody really likes him. Um, <laughs> but if Judas is my Aunt Sally, that's, mm-hmm. you know, if we're talking about, you know, the the salvation of my Aunt Sally or, or pretty much anybody except for Judas and maybe Hitler or something like that, <laughs> right? Like it's it's it becomes a lot more difficult uh, to talk about it, which is why it's good to go back and, and say, okay, well, that to, to go back and look at at, at, at causality and the mm-hmm. fact that God, and again, this is part of the mystery, right, mm-hmm. uh, for us to to pray on and and try to understand and and you know ask for God's mercy. And this is why intercessory prayer and all these things are are, are good and effective. But but yeah, the. I'll, I'll say what you said makes sense. It's logical. It follows from the principles that you laid out. Right. Um, it's hard though. I think I think it's it it's I think it's it's very hard because it it leaves open the possibility, or it it, it it's showing that there, there's a possibility that um people are in hell. Uh, as part of God's plan mm. that seems to, to, you know, when you, when you mm. put it that way um, it seems that, well, well, God just loves people loves. He must love some people more than others. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't love equally. Um, and I know we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah. to this, mm. um, but th- those are, those are hard truths. Yeah. Um, and again, they're very also counterculture because again, That's everybody's right, yeah. generally good. Yeah. Uh, everybody loves, love is mm-hmm. love. You know, yeah, Dr. Sure. Smith, what's wrong with you? Uh, you right. know, like, like yeah. we, we, we're surrounded by all these, these voices that are just completely 
counter to this. Sure. That's yeah. Yeah. You're right. And it, it is tough and I don't want to, I don't want to in any way deny that it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a bracing doctrine. Um, so is the Eucharist, right? Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, you know. I guess one of the things, and I'll say a little bit more about this at the end, but I think one of the problems we have with this is that we have a very flawed understanding of God now uh, and a very yeah. flawed understanding of our relative importance in relationship to God or our positioning with respect to God. You know, we, we hear all this nonsense about God recklessly pursuing all of us or some sort of, you know, something like that. Right. Or almost as if God needed us. Right. Um, yeah. You know, Jesus wouldn't have heaven without us. And so he came down I think is this line a little in some song. Um, and, you know, you just say, well, <laughs> you know, it's actually, actually who God is and what God is up to is probably quite different than the saccharine picture that you've received from contemporary preaching and catechesis, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's part of what makes it so hard for us, right. Is that we're so conditioned to think about God as kind of a loving, sort of a benign force that, cool. you know, or, or some, some sort of something that's like a, like has passions and feelings in the way that we do, um, and just blindly, you know, wants to give everybody everything. That's because we've allowed our, we've, the Christianity as a whole has allowed our theology to be influenced more by popular Christian songs sure. than by the writings of the saints. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. sadly, sadly. Yeah. So we have, so yeah, mm -hmm. so, you know, words like reckless abandoned and, and, and <laughs> right. like, no, there's nothing reckless about God's, God's providence or God, no. you know, God's yeah. predestination, right? Yeah, God's, it's supremely yeah. ordered. Yeah, scripture speaks of, uh, yeah, scripture only speaks of, uh, speaks over God's wisdom. Yeah. Right? Uh, not his recklessness. So with respect to reprobation, then, you know, we say if, if it's the case that someone makes it to heaven, mm -hmm. it is because it was part of God's infallible plan that they make it mm -hmm. to heaven. If someone does not make it to heaven, then it's because it was not part of God's infallible plan that they make it to heaven. All right. Um, that not being planned for heaven. Okay. Not being ordained for heaven not being predestined for heaven that all those are all sort of synonyms mm -hmm. um that is what it means to be reprobate to be reprobate mm -hmm. is to not be predestined to heaven right so it's not a um it's not a, a sort of a positive blemish as much as a lack right um so the way i try to put this right is that god ordains some to eternal life but not others that not being ordained to eternal life is what reprobation is. Now you, you could say, well, how do you know God does that? Right. How do you know that God doesn't, you know, um, predestine everyone to heaven right now? So I, I put it, my earlier statements were in a conditional if, right. If someone makes it, if someone does not, you could hold the position. This is actually kind of interesting um, because uh, Hart and a bunch of his, um, David Bentley Hart and a bunch of his kind of universalist followers would, would not like to be called predestinationists, but you know, hardcore universalists are predestinationists, right? Yeah. Uh, whether they like it or not, right? You, it could have been the case. I think this is interesting to think about and actually daunting. 
there's nothing logically there's nothing logically incoherent about universal predestination right that is it could have been the case that god predestined all right to reach eternal life that is a coherent hypothesis i'd put it that way right there's nothing internally there's nothing internally contradictory about it right now thomas denies universalism okay so he thinks you know he's not a universalist he's a particularist right he thinks some will and some will not now thomas's case for that is based uh primarily on scripture but also some theological considerations uh as well as some arguments uh, from reason. We actually have, again, a podcast <laughs> where we talk about uh, universalism, right? So we should put that in the notes there. So we can say, you know, for Thomas, yeah, this is a possibility, but it in fact happens to not be true, right? And so since it's not, since universalism is not true, whether some are saved and some are not, particularism, um, then, okay, it follows that um, some are not, right? As a matter of fact, not if, but some are not. And those some who are not, are not, they, that is, they do not achieve eternal life. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is because it was not part of the plan, right? That right. they achieve eternal life, right? Now you could say, a, a follow-up might be, well, Dr. Smith, you're saying, oh, sorry, Dr. Smith, you're saying, I said, Dr. Smith, Dr. Smith, you're saying that, that men, uh, that God causes men to go to hell. Yeah. And that's not quite right. Okay, Thomas has an, uh, an argument for that. Uh, let's see what you take of this. Um, the um, reprobation does not directly cause sin. Okay, reprobation, yeah. like God doesn't reprobate and then condemn to hell. God reprobates, that is, he does not elect, he does not predestine mm -hmm. some, but the reprobate then commits sins that are damnable and therefore they are condemned to hell. Right. So it's because of the sin of the reprobate that they're condemned, not yeah. simply because of their reprobation. Yeah, no, that and, and that follows. It's just I think, again, like you said, we have a. In contemporary theology, we just have kind of a, a flawed, flawed view of God to some degree, but also, I mean, like a flawed view of, of sin. Right. Mm -hmm. That, sure. you know, we kind of, you know, and as you know we we say things like you know uh god is we we hold god's mercy above everything else so that he will sure. even save to the point where he'll even save the unrepentant sinner. unrepentant that's the key right. that's the key that's, yeah yeah that that's that's not true like you're no. you're you're yeah again you're you're putting something on god that's that's not there but i think the the, the key thing there is you know the 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 reprobation is not while well, it's part of god's plan god is not uh, uh the the reprobation is not what sends them to hell it's their own sin it's their own which sin. and again that go, that that's founded on our understanding of of um original sin and personal sin right sure. uh which again they they're they they're serious and they have they have real consequences uh that that are that have to do with our supernatural end mm -hmm. i think sometimes we don't like to or we don't we don't think about that enough you know right that, right that you know oh well you know we're we're all flurried with emotions we're all flurried with you know different circumstances so how can we how can any of us really be held accountable well right right you right, are right. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Um, another. Does that mean that? Does that mean that God? You know. So, so does that mean that that God doesn't love them? Does God mm. love the reprobate? Does God yeah, give yeah. give the reprobate any grace? Like, I would say for sure, God loves the reprobate, and that sounds really weird, right? When you hear yeah. these, you hear all this, but <laughs> you know, you know, because so, God loves all, right? God is love. How could He reprobate? That makes it sound that's unloving, yeah. right? And what Thomas is okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in a strong form, and then I'm gonna explain. <laughs> it's true that God loves all but yeah. God does not love all equally. Now, that's probably no, no more offensive thing you could say <laughs> with respect to God and our contemporary circumstances, but it's just yeah. true, okay? Um, so how do, we, how do I kind of explain what I'm saying here? When, when we talk about God's love, right, it's, <clears throat> it's his intending and choosing a good for his creatures, right? And he intends and chooses some good for all of his creatures, mm -hmm. right? So even the reprobate, Take Judas, right? He ha he gave him the good of life, right? The good of a healthy body, the good of reason, the good of good examples around him, the good of friendship with the incarnate logos, right? The, you know, what I mean, they had the, like think about it. Judas's life was filled with good, yeah, right. God was super generous to Judas, yeah. right? Um, so in that sense, we can say, did God love Judas? Yes, he did. Yeah. He did not love him as much as he loved Peter. And the reason I can say that is yeah. that God willed the good of repentance for Peter and not for Judas, right? Yeah. Uh, so God chooses and intends goods for all of his creatures, mm -hmm. but he doesn't intend and choose the same good, right? Yeah for every creature, right? Or for every man. Now, I think when you think about it like that, you're like, well, obviously that's true, right? Yeah. Because, you know, like say the Virgin Mary, you know, um, you know, she alone, right? <laughs> Had the position of being the mother, right? Of the savior, right? Uh, that is a good that nobody else is going to have, right? Yeah. You know, or, or, you know, in the miracle of the virgin birth or the, um, you know, the, um, all, all of that, right? That's a unique good that she had and not others, right? Now, this comes back then to you got to realize that God's love is different than our love. We got to think about yes. it more seriously and soberly and realize that where God's love goes, perfection occurs, okay? Um, so that where there's a lack of perfection, it's because God didn't intend and will it to be there, right? Mm -hmm. God is the first cause of every perfection. Right. Including, right? and that means, right, that insofar as his causality presupposes his love, that where there's a perfection, it's because God brought it about. Right. Yeah. Thomas says this very importantly. He makes this distinction that God's love differs from ours in this, that our love is responsive to the good. Right. Whereas God's love makes there to be good in the first place. Right. So where there is a good, it is a result of God. Where there is a lack of good, right? That's because God didn't intend and will that good for that person, right? Yeah. Um, now that oh, that's harsh, but you got to really at some point you got to accept our complete dependence. And I like when I when I taught philosophy of God, I tried to put. Well, I would say we are entirely dependent upon God, 
right? And mm-hmm. most Christians are those with the right reason will concede that, right? But they don't, I think, really realize the full implications of that, right? When I say totally dependent, I mean in its entirety, <laughs> right? What do you think about that, Jason? Yeah, it, it again, again, it, it's it's tough to wrap our, our minds around, you know, because we do have, you know, I think theological flaws in our thinking, um, you know, but again, when we talk about God as that 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 first cause, that principal cause of everything that is good, right? right? right like that's right. like like there's so much so much comes from that that you know if we're going to hold that, then mm-hmm. then everything else we say about predestination and, and retrobate uh, reprobation and things like that, it 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 flow it flows from that. That's so, right. That's right. You know, it, and again, it's 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 difficult to think that, you know, God would, God would withhold his grace from something, but you look at Judas, you look at the, the, mm-hmm. or the distinction between Judas and Peter, right. uh, you know, or what is it, you know, uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right. Yeah. Like, yep. ugh, that's, a, that's yeah. a tough one, you <laughs> that's know? Right. Yeah. And, and then yeah, you try to, you know, mm-hmm. balance that with, you know, everything that, you know, kind of our modern culture believes about, Sure. About about love and you know, you know, one of the scripture passages, maybe it's a good time to bring it up. One of the scripture passages that people bring up a lot is you know, first Timothy 2 4, right? Right, right. That that God wills all to be saved, or God wishes mm-hmm. all to be saved. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we square how do we square that with uh the idea that um that the the, the pre that God predestines people? Yeah. So I think um, that um, that's a tough uh, question to deal with, um, but uh, Thomas has a way of dealing with it, and it's it's not uh, unique to him. It's a it's a it's a view held by uh, several uh, important thinkers, um, Christian thinkers, one um, uh, theologians. Uh, it's a distinction between the uh, what's called the antecedent will and the consequent will. Now, of course. You know, we have to use terminology, distinct terminology, to talk about what in God is in fact one, right? Yeah. But when we think about God's will, we actually actually have to come up with a variety of categories to talk about this to actually make sense of the whole thing. One distinction that's sim- that you know we can make that's that's quite clear is the difference between say God's prescriptive and God's the uh, God's prescriptive will, right? Uh, and his efficacious willing, right? So prescriptively, God wills that no one commit adultery. Yeah. Right. Um, but obviously people do commit adultery, right? So there's, you, you have to kind of think, you know, there, there's some complications here, right? When you're thinking about divine willing. Um, and uh, Thomas is, you know, I think, you know, sophisticated enough to deal with these kinds of distinctions. So there's an old distinction between antecedent and consequent willing. This actually comes out of Aristotle, um, ultimately, but it has to do with kind of situations where you do something that you normally wouldn't will to do, right? Yeah. So uh, the classic example of Aristotle is the merchant who throws his goods off the ship in the storm, right? So in terms of his antecedent will, no merchant wants to destroy his own goods, right? Every merchant wills his goods to stay aboard antecedently okay 
consequent among, upon other conditions and circumstances, right? The, 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 the merchant on the boat will, will simply, right? Unconditionally, right? That, um, or absolutely, I should say, that the goods be thrown overboard, yeah. right? Um, because of subsequent conditions, right? So uh, another example this would be, uh, so that's a, that's a serious example, maybe a less serious example. Yeah. Antecedently, I will for all of my students to pass the class. Consequently, I will to give a grade of failure to those uh, who don't, right? Consequent upon them, you know, not achieving the requirements of the course. So the, uh, there are lots of examples you start to think about, right? Yeah. Where you recognize, okay, I have an antecedent will, but I also have a consequent will, right? Uh, that is, you know, what, there's what I would wish kind of abstractly, right? Um, in general, without mm -hmm. conditions, mm -hmm. but then there's that which I actually simply will under real conditions. Because the truth is any real act of willing includes yeah. circumstances, right? Um, there's no general isolated abstract willing <laughs> does that make sense you know like that that's actual effective willing yeah 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 think about the parent right we all want our kids to be happy but does that make mm. them happy no no like, <laughs> right yeah, sure, you sure. know you know are you are you know i think maybe even another way to look at it is you know it's evidence that god wants everybody to be saved by willing the sacrifice of his son which has sufficient grace to save everybody, but sure. it, it doesn't actually save everybody, everybody. That's but, right. but it, but it's, it's, it's sufficient, but not efficient. Is that a, maybe that's yeah, a yeah, it's a very, to, yeah, it's sufficient, but not efficient. It? Yeah. That's a great uh, uh, distinction. So yeah, I mean, God uh, wishes all to be saved in the same, in, in a way that's similar, right. To just any good, right. Um, you know, antecedently now consequent upon Mm -hmm. So he could have done this things. There is a amount of divine freedom here, right? Yeah. And that's, we got to kind of struggle with that. Consequent upon the decree to permit sin, right? Consequent upon the decree of redemption, incarnation, all of that, right? It belongs to God then to um, effectively select some and not others, right? Under the conditions of the permission of sin, Right. The, you know, the permission of sin could have been such that God just left everybody damned. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, consequent to Adam's fall and uh, you know, all of Adam's heirs inheriting original sin, God could have just said, all right, you're all done. Right. You know, um, the, uh, but he didn't. Right. So he actually consequent upon, so consequent upon permission of sin, then consequent upon the, 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 the divine decree to save, right. Through redemption. Right through the redemption of the incarnation, God predestined some. Does he see yeah. how that works? You know, so people misunderstand uh, Augustine on on the Massa Damnata about this, right? When he talks yeah. about humanity as the damned lump, what he's saying is is that we you, your starting position from a post lapsarian perspective, right? That is after the permission to, of sin, is that we're all damned. That's the default position. Yeah, that's right. not what the world says. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, but we're all but basically the... good, right? Yeah, we're, all... <laughs> right. Um, we're all damnable, I guess I should say. And um, and God then elects, God chooses, right, uh, to save some. 
All right. Um, so I think that that is a way of looking at that passage that preserves the truth of the passage, mm -hmm. makes it consistent with other passages yeah. uh, that seek, speak strongly to uh, predestination mm -hmm. uh, and particularism, um, and also are consistent with the principles that we've laid out here. Now, real quick, and maybe it's not real quick, but okay. this just this just kind of seems unjust. I think this is going to be like the general <laughs> feeling that people uh -huh. are going to take away from this podcast. Sure. <laughs> like sure. it, 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 it seems to go against, and again, it seems to go against maybe our understanding of a merciful God, um, a God mm -hmm. who loves everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, um, how do, how do, how do, or how do you, maybe, maybe it's just more of a personal kind of a tactic yeah. or, or, or way. How do, how do we, how do we gra gra grapple with this? It's tough. Yeah, it is. So, so it does seem unjust. And Thomas uh, recognizes that it seems unjust to, to some, if you're kind of not thinking about it clearly. Right. Yeah. If I'm that guy. I <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, one of the key, you know, there's several things to say here. If you go back to the Macedonata, right? That is that our our position is our default position is damnable, right? Mm -hmm. God simply does not owe it to us, right? Um, to save us, right? Mm -hmm. That is a matter of gratuitous. You said mercy. See that mercy is something that's in addition to justice, right? Uh, yeah. It's a matter of grace right? That God saves anyone, right? Mm -hmm. um, it wouldn't be grace if it was owed, okay? Right. That would be a debitum of justice, okay? Um, but it's a grace that's not owed, right? It's a gift gratuitously given by God to some. Um, another way of putting this is to recognize, right, that, you know, when we're talking about uh, eternal life, right, eternal life is not something that belongs to us by nature, therefore it's not a debitum. Right. It's something right. that belongs to us by God elevating, right? By God, uh, by God's grace, right? So it's just not a matter of justice in the way that people think that do. We, first off, God doesn't owe anyone eternal life, period. Yeah. And yeah. God doesn't owe to sinners that they be saved, right? Well, it's not a debitum. It's a grace. Yeah, and I, I would also add to that that it, it actually goes against love if somebody was like, to hell with God and God say, no, you're going to be with me forever. Like God, like that's, that's actually unloving thing. It's, you know, you, God loves us so much that he'll, he'll, he'll respect um, uh, our decision to be eternally damned. Mm -hmm. um, right. That, you know, that's, that's a hard thing to grapple with as well. Right. That, sure. you know, to, that he loves us. And he's not going to force his grace on us, right? Which is what mm -hmm. kind of, you know, maybe universalism might presuppose that God just kind of, you know, whether you mm -hmm. like it or not, you're going to be saved. Yeah, um, true, right? true. But 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 it is the case, right? I mean, I think you have to bite the bullet on this, that everything you said is correct. But also, <laughs> it's true that our response to God's grace is itself a gift. Yeah. And interestingly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trent and the Catechism of the Catholic Church both say that, right? Yeah. Um, that so that too, right, is uh, uh, is a gift. Um, faith, faith is a gift. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's where you just have to, you know, accept the gratuity of the whole situation, right? Um, now, one, uh, I know we're going to go a little 
probably a little long here, but I think we kind of have to on just two two major points left. Yeah. Um, one is, well, wait a second. Isn't there a better alternative? Maybe this <laughs> is the way it works, right? Because all this is tough, right? Like I don't, it I don't, is. I don't pretend otherwise. Um, maybe God predestines those who He foresees will use His grace well, right? Hmm. Another way it's putting it. Uh, another way of putting it is uh, maybe God predestines those who he foreknows will merit predestination, right? So he looks into the future, right? He sees that Jason will respond correctly to, uh, to <laughs> that's right, you go Jason, hey. <laughs> I will. Yeah, God, yeah, that Jason will respond correctly to um, uh, the offer of grace and therefore predestines Jason, right, to be among the elect right? Predestines Jason to grace and glory. So um, (laughs) that's all right. (laughs) Now, like, what would you say is that, I mean, given what we were just talking about a minute ago, what's the essential problem with that? Well, I'd say it goes back to God's causality, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like God is the, I mean, he's the first cause of everything that it Yeah, I think what you would say is something like that, that grace is the principle of merit, right? Or to yeah. put it in other words, in us, right? Grace is the principle of any efficacious action towards, right? The beatific vision towards eternal right. the life. Only, yeah. The only right. reason why merit is, is efficacious is because of grace. That's right. Right. Grace. Yeah. It's grace that moves you to commit and perform acts of faith, hope, and love, right? That are, um, uh, advantageous, right, for eternal life, right, and so uh, again, going back to the idea of our total dependence on God, that's true in the order of nature. It's true in the order of supernatural, supernature, right, or in the order yeah. of of grace, right. That is, God's prior movement is presupposed. God's mm-hmm. prior gracious movement is presupposed in any of our movements towards um, supernatural beatitude. So the idea of foreseen marriage just gets everything backwards causally, right? Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't, you wouldn't do that, which was effective and uh, advantageous for your salvation, unless God already was moving you there. Right. And God wouldn't be moving you there unless you were already predestined. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I, that's a, that's a, uh, that's good. That really, I think helps or at least for me, that really helps mm-hmm. my understanding. Okay. Um, going back to yeah uh uh yeah because i think a lot of people will go back to that well he was you know you know so so and so you know i was a good person i you know kind of the sentiment that i deserve heaven or something like Uh that or i don't deserve hell yeah god doesn't owe you anything but but at the same time even those good things you did were were there because of god's grace right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um faith you know faith is a gift right Mm -hmm. um so yeah that, that i think that helps that helps a lot Good, good, yeah. Um, so, kind of winding down here, then, because um, and I do want to say some practical things at the end. But um, yeah. one big question, then, you know, I think you have to ask still is, okay, well, maybe it's not owed to everybody, right? That that God predestines, mm-hmm. um, and maybe Thomas has a good case based on scripture and probable reasoning. Um, to say that he knows as a matter of fact, not all are willed, but what's the, 
what's the ratio, right? What's the what's the logos here? What's the ratio of the explanation yeah. for why? I mean, but why not? Like, I mean, God could have, yeah. you know, why not? And and I think one answer that I've already kind of suggested here is, well, and you you know, this is not a totally satisfactory answer, but I think it's actually an important one spiritually, is you need to recognize that you know, maybe we're just asking the wrong question. Why not all? Maybe we should say, why any, right? Yeah. Again, God didn't owe it to us. And this is just so hard for us to deal with today because we've, we're so self-entitled and egalitarian, right? We think that everything is owed to us. It's mm-hmm. just not. Okay. Um, so you need to realize that and you need to like get that out of your mind and heart right? That yeah. you are owed and entitled to everything. You're not. Okay. Yeah. Um, the second though, and maybe fuller explanation, and this is spelled out both by Augustine and De Civitati Dei, as well as Thomas and the Summa Theologia. Um, and it, it, again, this is not unique to them, right? Uh, you can find it in other authors as well, is that, and we've kind of crept up to this several different times, the universe and providence are about something different than we actually tend to think. They're not about me. (laughs) The whole of human history is actually about Jason Kale. That's right. (sighs) Right. I mean, but we naturally have, you know, we naturally, and then also sinfully all have a kind of egocentric perspective where we think of, you know, ourselves as the main character in the narrative of the history of the world. Right. Uh, and it's really all about me. Right. And, you know, we're, we're, we're told all the time, you know, in, in uh, various ministry situations, you know, we, you know, you gotta, you gotta make it all about how it's about their story and about how it's going to be, you know, make it relevant to them and their narrative, right. Or whatever. Um, and the, the, the truth is, right. Is that we are, what do you call it? Um, who are the actors like in a movie that are like uh, the extras? The extras. <laughs> That's right. We're like the secondary characters in God's story. Okay. Supporting actors. Right. The main narrative. Yeah, we're supporting actors. Right. Man, that hurts. That's offensive. Right. But it's just true. Right. That that you know, Pharaoh. God used Pharaoh in order to demonstrate his greatness in delivering yeah. his people from bondage. Um, he was a support, Pharaoh was a supporting actor. He was there to be used by God, right? To demonstrate his power, his goodness, his glory. Thomas and Augustine and many of the older theologians, we don't study this part anymore. And it is actually in the catechism, both the old one and the new one, um, say that God in, um, in acting and creating the world did so for his own glory, right? Mm. Uh, now that's just a really weird statement in today's theological context. Yeah. We don't, for one thing, have any clue what glory means. Uh, and the idea that God would act for his own glory, again, cuts against the kind of humanitarian, egalitarian ethos that we operate in. Yeah. But as a matter of fact, it's right that God do so. God's own essence should be his end. Right. In fact, there would be something disordered if God didn't act for his own essence. Right. Because his own essence is perfect. Right. Now, the only thing that you could sort of add to his essence, and this wouldn't be adding to him sort of substantially or ontologically, but is the display of his goodness. Right. Yeah. So Thomas and, and Augustine and as say others 
hold that God's glory is the demonstration of his goodness, right? By demonstration, right, that, the, 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 the proving of his goodness and the yeah. showing forth of his goodness, right? Now, we tend to not have, a, have a, maybe a, a different view of goodness here, right? Or maybe an incomplete view of goodness. But that's mm-hmm. what God is up to in the universe, right? Um, he is in his own essence. The glorification of his essence is, in fact, the point of the universe, right? There are other points to the universe, secondary, tertiary goals, but that's the main one, okay? Now, how does all this fit into the predestination? Now, this is going to be, it's kind of hard embracing, but this is what Thomas says. You know, God advances his glory uh, in many different ways, right, in creation, right? So from the, the, you know, we like to say this part, the, from the beauty of the dawn and from the terror of the storm, you know, that kind of poetic thing, right? God's, yeah. God's, God's goodness is glorified, right? Uh, and that's true, right? That, that is true. Um, what about among men, right? Among men, according to Thomas and Augustine, right? God demonstrates his goodness through showing mercy to the predestined and by punishing the wickedness of the reprobate, right? So that God is glorified in both his mercy and his justice, right? Mercy in the redemption of some, right? And in his justice and his punishment of uh, the reprobate. Now that requires us to see justice as good, right? And the, <laughs> hard. And the debt of punishment as good, right? Um, it is hard, but it is certainly Thomas's position and Augustine's. Um, yeah. And I don't see anything wrong with it, uh, logically. Um, if you understand justice in the way Thomas understood justice, such that it requires contrapassing, it requires punishment, right, yeah. in some circumstances. I think we can all understand this, you know, if you're, if you're a parent or you've had to parent, you know, kids, right. Mm-hmm. You understand the, the importance and the goodness of justice, right. Or even the, you know, uh, the importance of being grateful, you know, that there is, you know, the gift of salvation at all, not sure. even that maybe even that you don't receive it, but that, that it is. Well, right. I think if you've ever you been know. a victim of a crime or seen some heinous crime, yeah. right? I mean, people always kind of deme- demean this. And one wouldn't want to celebrate in some sort of superficial way, right? The punishment of criminals. But if you've ever been the victim of a crime, right? A real one, you like, you know that there is, there is a debitum of punishment due to that other person, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's not like you rejoice in their suffering, right? But you do sort of recognize like, there does need to be some pain. There does need to be some recompense here. Right. Right. You know, um, when, when, uh, when the elderly or the widow is defrauded, right. Or women or children raped, there needs to be a consequence for that, you know, the malefactor. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, and that that's right and just and do, and that we as a society, you know, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And if we would fail as a society, right? Mm-hmm. If we didn't offer a recompense. Now, you know, in, and that, that's a way we, in fact, just demonstrate our goodness, right? Yeah. Is by yeah. 
punishing uh, malefactors, right? Um, you know, that's not something to kind of skip down the streets about, but it is, but it does demonstrate your, 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 your goodness, right? Uh, in a way. And this is what uh, God is, is up to in the universe. Why some and not others. He repeats this in the Summa Contra Gentilis uh, as well. Uh, this view that his, his, he is glorified, right? His goodness is demonstrated by those things. Now, what do we kind of take away from here practically? Yeah. There's a lot actually, <laughs> right? Um, one is, I think we have to, one of the benefits of this view is it should liberate us from the idolatry, right? That we engage in when we worship this egalitarian, um, uh, sentimental, humanitarian God, right? That is yeah. not the God of right reason and certainly not the God of scripture, right? Right, um, right reason and scripture tell us that God is not a, a benign force, right? Uh, uh, that equally gives to all, right? Uh, the same, right? That's just not true, right? Um, it doesn't fit up to, as I say, right reason or, or uh, scripture. Um, so I think that's a very important one. It's really going to shake us. It should shake us, right? And make us think differently about God and ourselves. Um, another uh, aspect here is that we really need to recognize our complete dependence upon God for our justification and eternal life, right? And therefore be grateful, right, to God for all of the means that he has put in our lives, right? For our eternal life. So you think about the life of a Christian, you know, you have the sacraments, you have scripture, you have preaching, you know, you have all of the you have theology, you have pastors to, you know, to, to lead you, to help you. Um, you have uh, spiritual directors, you know, I mean, God has put all of these means before you, Right. Uh, by which to 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 bring uh, the predestined to eternal life, we should be deeply grateful for those, right? Mm -hmm. um, so those are two things, you know, um, uh, grateful for those, and also recognize our inadequacy, yeah. right? Into uh, our total inadequacy in terms of each achieving eternal beatitude. Be grateful for everything that God brings into our lives that moves us in that way graciously. Um, and then pray, right, for, um, you know, um, God's help because we come to know our complete dependence upon him. Um, I think those are two sort of at least practical points, right, that are really key in thinking about and understanding this doctrine. Did you have any thoughts there, Jason? Yeah, you know, I would, I would, yeah definitely agree with everything with everything you just said but i think the you know the the humility um and the the the, the realization of the dependence of uh, the dependence on god for everything mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um i think that's i think that's huge in removing our uh um you know uh, self-aggrandizing and kind yeah. of uh entitlement mentality that even mm -hmm. though you know we may not be kind of conscious of it it's mm -hmm. it's so ingrained in our culture sure that I, that I think we have to you have to fight against it as you know and your own thinking because I think it can creep up in there easily sure. yeah um, 
and, and and try to strive to 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 know God and to to live for His uh, greater glory and honor, mm-hmm. um, and that you know it is it it isn't about us, um, mm-hmm. and uh, to you know again this this idea of putting putting God first uh, in that way and 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 to pray like you said, mm-hmm. um, those those are going to be you know as you wrestle with, you know, trying to wrap your, your, your feeble little mind, mm. uh, or at least I'm speaking personally, <laughs> my feeble, my feeble little mind around such a, uh, such a topic and grandiose as this, but also, you know, look at the, look at the writings of the saints, look at Augustine, mm. you know, sure. uh, Aquinas, uh, go to the sources, uh, wrestle right, with these, right, right, um, right. cause it, it is, it is very important to have, uh, and, you know, work to understand, uh, these, these things, and to understand them correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Dr. Smith, I think you've given our listeners uh, and myself a lot to think about, a lot to think about and pray about um, and to, to bring to prayer. Uh, uh, so thank you for that. And I just want to invite all our listeners, um, check out all of our content over at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Until next time, God bless.